0: Open your Bibles, the precious, inspired, preserved words of the living God to the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. And may the Lord have mercy upon us to cover this in a way that would glorify Jesus Christ and profit each of you. I do not wish to tarry long on individual verses. Any more here than I would on the Good Samaritan, or any more here than I would in the parable of the sower. This is a parable. The sixth verse tells us so. A parable means it's an extended metaphor, not plainly expressed, but more an expanded proverb and a riddle. And this one is more so than some. At least in the Good Samaritan, we are told precisely what the whole story is about. And in the parable of the sower, we are given a bottom line for our response to the parable. Here is neither. And it's a riddle. Because you have the one speaking... Who is the only true and honest good shepherd in the passage, but he is also the door at the same time and somewhat in the same way, as you'll, as I hope I can show you. Brethren, the context of John 10 is John 9. And if you're not familiar with John 9, you, you hurt yourself in trying to understand. John 10, especially its first 18 verses. We shall try to cover the first 18 verses this morning and the rest of the chapter in the second assembly. The context is the difference between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Pharisees, who were the shepherds of the people. They were the guides of the people. Though Jesus called them blind guides... They claimed to be the guides of the people, the shepherds, the protectors, and the pastors of Israel. And yet, if you read John 9, those pastors kept the people from the only shepherd they really needed. The only savior they had to have. And from the truth that would have freed them all. They despised their people. When you read John 9 and you see the Pharisees tearing into the man born blind, ridiculing him and his parents for their lack of seminary training and position. You understand the rapacious, violent, selfish, greedy character of these ministers in God's church. And so Jesus Christ is going to rebuke them because He is still standing with the man born blind and the Pharisees gathered around Him, with which He ends chapter 9. He takes right up with them that second person pronoun in the first verse here, you, is referring to those Pharisees clumped around the man born blind because He has just rebuked them and they know He has just rebuked them. In the last three verses of the ninth chapter, I'm going to move faster than you may desire, but I have a purpose today. And if you want to look at 11 pages of single spaced notes, you're welcome to do so. The general rule is it takes me an hour to preach a page. All I want to do is give you a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and may you rejoice in Him as your shepherd and may you by faith hear His voice and may you by faith go running after Him to know Him better and to want to hear His voice more perfectly and to see His rod and His staff more perfectly and to put yourself under His care more completely and to know that there is no man in heaven or on earth like the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a shame that in the annals of human history, and I mean the church of God, most men in the office of shepherd or pastor were corrupt. If you read Jeremiah 23, if you read Ezekiel 34, they're horrible chapters. If you read Matthew 23, things hadn't changed in the New Testament, had they? Have you read Matthew 23? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, over and over and over again, because Jesus is our shepherd and we want to see him. The purpose of John 10 is not so much comfort, although we are going to derive all the comfort we can because we are not in the desperate situation that the man born blind was. Because he had just been confronted by his religious leaders and he had just confronted them and found out that they had no interest in his well-being. They had no interest in the truth. They had no interest in the Messiah. They only had an interest in protecting their offices. The passage is a rebuke. It's a condemnation of false teachers. First of all, the comparison is going to be thieves and robbers, which they were. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for ye devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Matthew 23, 14. Missing in all modern versions of the Bible. A thirteenth and a fifteenth is there, but not the fourteenth. It's a condemnation of false teachers. It's a comforting lesson for us in that we shall realize what a Savior we have, what a shepherd we have, what a pastor we have, what a bishop we have, what an apostle, what a high priest. All the titles of any religious minister in the history of both Testaments apply to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we shall see some doctrine about the work of the ministry and the identity of Jesus as God's Son, primarily in the second half. If we're not careful, we will leave the contextual pathway, we'll leave the big lesson of this passage of Scripture, and we'll get hung up on the details. Brethren, I could by McKnight's 10,000 sermon illustrations. I can tell stories. I question it myself because I have so little practice. I don't want to tell you stories. Amen. I could tell you stories about little sheep, little orphans, and little babies being picked up and carried by gentlemen they would bring tears to your eyes, but I wouldn't have preached you the gospel. And I wouldn't have preached the word. I'd have told you sob stories. Those sob stories have been told with the good Samaritan about the wounds on that Jew and pouring in the oil and the wine and the comforts of the inn to which he was carried and all the sorts of things, but it's not preaching the word. Because the word is, that is your neighbor. Now go out and love your neighbor that you would ordinarily despise and ordinarily despises you, that's the good Samaritan. But here, it's a condemnation of false teachers. And so I'm going to preach you the word. I'm going to tell you what these 18 verses intend for you to take away. And you should look into them and see a savior, a pastor, a bishop, like no other. We cannot get too hung up on the details, because it's not the details that are important. It's the lesson that's important. We could waste many hours of research and many hours of me telling you about male shepherds, sheepfolds, doors, thieves, robbers, wolves, hirelings, porters, and so forth. And what progress would we have made? None. We wouldn't have preached the word. Now there was something taught here because by the time he got to the 19th verse, there was a division, therefore again, among the Jews for these sayings. These 18 verses didn't make somebody very happy. And these 18 verses were somewhat convincing to others. And brethren, one thing we're going to learn today is that the difference by which we respond to the Bible is by God's grace. Because the difference in John 10, like John 8, Like John 6, like 9, the difference between the man born blind and the Pharisees is significant. John chapter 10, the doctrine is primarily in verses 19 through 42, where Jesus defends himself as the Son of God. This is a metaphor. We're not sheep. He's not a shepherd. He was a carpenter's son when he was on earth. He's the King of Kings now. Amen. It's a metaphor. We miss a little bit, but we don't have to miss it if we'll just look and think about the words, the phrases and clauses that are used because the infinite God knew that we were going to be city slickers and so would most of the people that have heard the word of God preached. Most were not shepherds. The danger of John 10 is that we forget the nature of a parable and try to find meaning in every detail. That myopic approach is destructive to understanding the Word of God. We don't want to get all hung up on who the porter is. We just want to know that the porter has the authority to open and close the doors, and when he sees the true shepherd approaching, the door is already open for him to pass right on through, and the sheep that are with him. We're going to see Jesus personally, intimately, devotedly, and passionately as our shepherd for time and eternity, and he's never going to lose one of his sheep. We're going to keep the Lord's Supper today and we're going to remember Jesus our Shepherd and our Savior when we do so. John chapter 10, I read verse 1. I hope you've already read it. I don't need to read it to you. You should have read it already. You should be familiar with it. You quizzers in the church that are going to be quizzing in the Gospel of John, here's one of your chapters. Some of you that may be quizzing later this summer, here's one of your chapters. John 10 and verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Verily is an affirmation or expression of certainty, sincerity, or truthfulness. No one in the Bible except the Lord Jesus Christ would attach those words to his own words. Only Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say. Right. Because he is the word of God made flesh. And he had the authority as the Son of God to declare doctrine. If there was any infallibility of any man, it's the man Christ Jesus who could speak so authoritatively. And I love him. It only occurs in the Gospel of John where we have a double affirmation. And it's there 25 times. Verily, verily. And he's in the midst of rebuking Pharisees, and he's about to lay some powerful truth on them. And he's going to declare that they are thieves and robbers and hirelings and that they're worthless to the sheep and destructive to sheep, and that he only is the shepherd of the sheep, and that he is going to lay down his life for them while they consume the lives of sheep for their own profit. What a difference. What a huge difference. So here we have a double affirmation as the Lord Jesus Christ introduces this wonderful subject, that second person, plural, pronoun, you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he is addressing the last noun that we have, and it's the Pharisees at the end of chapter 9. And he's going to rebuke them. How does he rebuke them? He says, he that entereth by the door into the sheepfold and doesn't climb up some other way is the shepherd of the sheep. That's in verse 2. But if he seeks another way to get into the sheepfold, then he's not the shepherd of the sheep. In fact, he's a thief and a robber. The sheepfold is the church of God. The door is the Lord Jesus Christ and rightful authority for Jesus Christ to be the shepherd of the sheep. See, there's a right way to enter the fold. There's a right way to take care of sheep, and it's by the ordination and authority and approval of Almighty God. Only Jesus Christ went through that door in this way, and of course, His apostles and those after Him. There's a door here. Now the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers and the Levites and so many others, while they had offices, they were not all assigned to be the guides, the pastors of the nation. Nor did they have the right motives for the job. Nor did they take care of the sheep like they were supposed to. But they were climbing in some other way. They, when they were 18 years old in college went through the student handbook and found minister and chose to be a minister. See, Paul was a Pharisee, but he wasn't from the tribe of Levi. Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Where did all these men choose this office for themselves? Jesus never did that. Hebrews 5, 1 through 6 are powerful, where it says that Jesus Christ did not take the priesthood upon himself But there was a God of heaven that said, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek by a different priesthood. These men did not have the right and they didn't use the right way to enter the sheepfold where they could get at the sheep. They climbed up some other way and they were thieves and robbers. Just as the Lord taught in Jeremiah 23, in Ezekiel 34, in Matthew 23, in all those places, he says the same things. These shepherds are not feeding the sheep. They're feeding themselves from the sheep, by the sheep, with the sheep. They eat and devour the sheep. Ye devour widows' houses. I say for the third time, for you to remember a context that helps us here. The sheep are the elect people of God. God. Where sheep are kept, fed, nourished, and protected is the church of God. That church of God has gone through Reformation because it was the Old Testament church and now it's the New Testament church and right here was part of the time of Reformation. But there was a door. And honest and sincere God called ministers go through the door. Men who don't use the door, they're not called by God. They don't have God's motives. They don't, they're not honest and sincere. They don't take care of the sheep the way God intended. They're thieves and robbers. They didn't go through the door. Now remember, there isn't a real sheepfold. There isn't a real door. There isn't a real thief or robber that gets written up in the paper for having stolen. This is a metaphor, this is a word picture of the church and evil pastors, bishops, shepherds, ministers, Pharisees that are taking advantage of the sheep, like that poor blind man and his parents. His parents were petrified to say what they thought because the Pharisees had already threatened that if any man believed on Jesus Christ, out of the synagogue, out of temple worship because they had to keep their place. As those who are learning John 11 know about, at the end of John 11, with the great miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead, the Jews have to get together to find out how they can keep their jobs, because all men are going after Jesus Christ. Again, the word all is used for many, as it's going to be used here. The Lord Jesus Christ had authority straight from heaven. John declared it. God called him. God had called him with prophecy in the Old Testament, which I've already quoted to you. He had a perfect and pure heart and motives and the way that he took care of the sheep. He's not even mentioned here in the first verse, but we know he's one that goes through the door. The rightful entrance to the people of God. The others that are climbing up some other way and and ordaining themselves and taking the office to themselves are thieves and robbers. But the one that goes in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, verse 2. As a, as a riddle parable, which a parable is a riddle. Just taught you that recently in Bible hermeneutics, you men. We've got to understand that Jesus is the shepherd, but Jesus is also the door as he's going to tell us twice in verses 7 and 9. But the real shepherd goes through the door, and the door thus far is rightful authority, rightful approval from God to the sheep. And the reason the others don't go through it is because they weren't called of God, they're not approved of of God. They have motives entirely different from God. They're looking to feed themselves. I remember when I was in the bank, we used to call the ministry the the, one of the non-profit professions. Because profit's a high motive for exertion. But a man who's called of God should be motivated to a high level of exertion. Verse three to him, the porter openeth. Now the porter is nothing but, as you should know, from visiting hotels. A porter is a doorkeeper, a gatekeeper. If there were multiple gates around, they were kept locked by the porter and he would let shepherds in and let them out to use sheepfolds, secure places for sheep for periods of time. And he was the doorkeeper. That's all he is. Now we could, I could spin you a web for 45 minutes on God the Holy Spirit being the porter. But the Lord Jesus Christ rushes right over it, and I'm not going to stop and try to elaborate on what He doesn't. Right. All we're talking about is that the authority into that sheepfold is well known by, for this shepherd, but these others can't get past the porter, so they're climbing up some other way in order to gain access to the sheep. And this is a ministerial passage Because a shepherd is a pastor, and a pastor is a shepherd, and Jesus Christ is going to develop this to where he is the ultimate good shepherd. And these other men are thieves and robbers thus far. He will then compare them to hirelings, because their rapacious, greedy, covetous ambitions upon the sheep of Christ are one thing, but the other thing is that they're lazy and fearful, because they don't have the best interest in an investment made, in the flock, like the Lord Jesus does. And I've preached some of that just a year ago when I preached an owner's mentality out of some of these verses. There is an established and intimate relationship between the true shepherd and his own sheep, in verse 3. To him the porter openeth. This doorkeeper opens the door, and the sheep hear his voice. All of a sudden, the sheep, the elect of God, recognize the voice of a real shepherd. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. I could tell you stories about shepherds that had a flock that was manageable in numbers. They would learn their sheep by name. And they could call their sheep by name and lead them out. Out through that door, and out to pasture. They hear his voice, they know his voice, they recognize his voice. Because they don't know a stranger's voice. If I were to give you a flock of sheep and have cut you loose for two hours you couldn't get them to follow you anywhere. If you've ever been around sheep, you know full well what I'm trying to say. They would be on the other side of any sheepfold from you. But this shepherd they follow because he's the real shepherd. He's the true shepherd. He cares about them. He knows them. They're his sheep. These others are thieves and robbers. The sheep are not theirs, but they're climbing up some other way to gain access to them. And it is a shame, and I've said this already today, but I want to say it again because this is the lesson. Jesus is going to say, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. All. You go to Eli and you see his two sons. Was Jesus right about that family? Samuel took over. Was Jesus right about that family? Yes. Samuel should have improved things greatly, but he didn't with his own sons. Israel got a king because they were sick of Samuel's family. Verse 8 is horrifying, but it's a reality of life. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus Christ. There are so many people that trust in popes. Slobbering old men. Like John Paul II. Still in office. There's so many that put their trust in pastors and prophets and so-called apostles. Dead men. Like Muhammad, Who couldn't even limit himself to four wives like he did everyone else. In his natural kingdom of moon worship. Look what we have. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at these Pharisees. When Jesus preached Matthew 5-7, through the Sermon on the Mount, it was pure doctrine. They're wrong. This is the truth of God. They're wrong. This is the truth of God. Jesus Christ had the authority from God, the ordination of God, the charge from God, the call of God, called to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. How many times are those words repeated in Hebrews? for the comfort of our souls, because Hebrews 3.1 tells us that Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our profession. Our religion has for its pastor the Lord Jesus Christ. And He he compared to any other is so superior. We have the best pastor in this church, and it's the Lord Jesus of Nazareth. The sheep hear His voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. The guys climb, clamoring over the wall. The sheep don't hear the, the sheep hear their voice and run to the other side. So they have to run after them and grab them and kill them and take them out. Totally different. Verse four. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, that means takes them out of the sheepfold. After you've cooped sheep up together, there's going to be no grass left in the ground, and there's not going to be water there, and there's going to be a lot of excrement there. He leads them out of there, out to pasture. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Twice now, we've been told in verse 3 and 4, they recognize his voice and they follow him so that he can lead them out. And brethren, in each one of these clauses, I could preach some little aspect of a minister to you, But Jesus didn't tell us to take that kind of liberty with the Word of God. At some point in time, for some men, I might be able to sit down and take each one of these clauses and point out about it being an example. The sheep follow because He's out in front of them. And on and on we could go. But the main lesson is, Jesus Christ of Nazareth is a far superior pastor, bishop, shepherd to all those ministerial leaders that were among the Jews especially those in John chapter 9, especially the Pharisees, the most conservative sect of the Jews' religion. But when he takes his sheep out, because he's the real shepherd, the metaphor is what we've got here. And we draw from it the overall lesson. Jesus is the shepherd that goes through the door. Jesus is the shepherd that the porter opens to because Jesus Christ had call from God to take care of the sheep. And these Pharisees, while they held a minor office given to them from Moses, Matthew 23, 1 through 3, they had corrupted their calling by their wicked hypocrisy and their wicked doctrine of hypocrisy. They valued the gold on the temple more than the temple. Jesus condemned them for it. They loved To be heard and seen in public praying and fasting. They wore scripture outwardly, but they had none in their hearts. That's no minister. That's the lesson. That's the lesson. Jesus is just going to get more and more in his favor as he proceeds through the metaphor, what a shepherd he is. Do you know him? Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you run to him? Do you know his voice? Do you want to hear his voice more? Brethren, there are people that write us from all over the world that do not know where to go. They do not know of a sheepfold they want to get near because they hear the voice of strangers there. Do you understand that? I'm going to keep, I'm going to, I'm going to tack them to every update that I send you so that you might be a, tiny bit thankful for our Lord Jesus Christ and for what he's shown us. Anything we have is by his mercy. Amen. The best that we have in this church is a little tiny under shepherd saved by grace. Balaam's transportation sanctified a little. Verse 8 is horrifying to a minister. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. I'm not to that verse yet. I'm just telling you that the passage, when it's understood and it's a lesson, and you put yourself in the crowd standing around him, and the man born blind his parents are there, and others that believe on Jesus and love his words, they're all mixed together in a crowd. And so there's a division when he gets to the end of the parable. But it's condemning. Because he's drawing a contrast, he pulls it apart, He draws this contrast that just gets wider and wider and wider between religious men who are by the world esteemed as the best caring for souls and the Lord Jesus Christ and he calls them thieves and robbers and hirelings. If there's any man in this assembly that God ever calls to be an under-shepherd, there is a door by which you go through into that sheepfold, and it is by a true call of the Lord Jesus Christ of glory, and is known by other ministers. You do not take that office to yourself. It is put upon you by Jesus Christ through other men. And if you are resisting it, it puts you in the best of company in both testaments not men who are signing up for it as 18-year-olds in college. Unbelievable. Every man should desire the office because the Bible says so. It's a good work. It says to covet earnestly the best gifts. It says that. So every man should desire it. Desire isn't any evidence of the office. If we were to go by desire in both Testaments, it would be desire of not wanting It's more statistically significant than wanting it. Verse 5, a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. The man born blind quickly heard the voice of strangers, didn't he, when he was confronted by the Jews. And he didn't want any more to deal with them. And he confronted them and said, this is a strange thing that you can't figure out that I've just had my eyesight restored. And they despised him and cast him out. But another shepherd went after him. What a difference! What a difference on both sides! What a difference in the part of the man born blind who recognized these men are frauds. I know more than they do. <laughs> who gave him that? Oh, God was already working in that man. Amen. As soon as he met the Lord Jesus Christ the second time, the Lord Jesus Christ said, "Do you believe in the Son of God, Lord?" Who is he that I may believe on him? Right. It is he that is speaking to thee. What does he do? He fell down and worshipped him. Where should the Pharisees have been? Underneath him, having hit in the deck first. But they weren't there at all. Ver- through verse 5. Through verse 5. Jesus Christ is the only honest and true shepherd and those under him that are under shepherds that have a call of God that go through the door into the sheepfold. Those who take the office upon themselves without a just cause, without a true call and don't have the right motive and are not fulfilling the scriptures toward the sheep are thieves and robbers. They're taking advantage and they're fleecing a flock for a profession that they don't have any right to. Thus, we come to verse 6. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which spake unto them. Typical of parables. And that's why we, we, we tread carefully when we go into a parable like this. If the audience standing around him, who full well knew everything about shepherds, sheep, and porters, did not understand what he was saying, then we, we'd be very careful as we go through these verses. We want the lesson. And the lesson is something about shepherding sheep. That Jesus is the good shepherd and there are bad shepherds. Jesus is the good pastor and there are bad pastors. Jesus will take care of you in time and eternity because he's laid down his life for you. These men want to use you for their profit and their benefit. That's the lesson. You have such a Savior. You don't need Pope Benedict Sixteenth. You don't need Muhammad, the prophet of Allah. You need the Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. the Son of the living God. Verse 7, then said Jesus unto them again. He resumes his speaking. Verily, verily, we have another double affirmation right here in this parable of the good shepherd. I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Now notice, he doesn't say, I am the door of the shepherds. He's shifting a little bit right here. I am the door of the sheep. Now he's been mentioning shepherds. He hasn't talked about sheep going in and out, except with their shepherd, who calls them by name and leads them out. Are you with me? Now it's the door of the sheep. And I want to tell you there's only one way into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the true church of Jesus Christ. It is through by the Lord Jesus Christ only. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. But the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the only entrance. It is by faith in Jesus as the Son of God that we are baptized and can even become members of the external, visible, outward church. He's the door of the sheep. And he says so, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me this is a transitional section of it because he's still speaking about men like him. Shepherds. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Because I've been the door. They want my voice. They hear my voice. They know me. I know them. We have an intimate relationship. And they follow me. They won't follow those others. They won't listen to their voice. They don't like the voice of strangers, as verse 5 told us. Verse 9, I am the door. He says it again from verse 7. Noticing the transition here. Thieves and robbers was used in verse 1. Thieves and robbers was used in verse 8. But in verse 7, he's the door of the sheep. And in verse 9, he's the door of the sheep. I am the door by me, if any man. Now this is not a minister. This is not a shepherd. This is someone needing pasture. Okay? I hope you see the transition. I've wanted to preach John 10 to you for a long time. Eleven pages of single space notes should tell you that there's a few thoughts on John 10, but it's hard. Parables are hard. Look at verse six. They did not understand what things they were, which he spake unto them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. That is the church of God. That is the church of Christ shall be saved. I want to say right here, and I'm not going to waste time on it. This passage only has hints of the legal redemption we have in Christ when Jesus speaks of laying down his life for the sheep. This is a practical passage. I do not turn this into a fatalistic presentation of the voice of Jesus Christ being his regenerating voice, and you're just passive. This is where you know his voice practically, personally, experientially, and you follow him, and you love him. It's practical. It's ministerial. Haven't we already seen that? It's ministerial. I've seen this passage abused. That every time you have the word voice, it's the regenerating voice of John chapter 5. And them following him is following him in the resurrection to heaven. Not a chance. I wouldn't preach it if I wasn't 100% confident. My 100% confident doesn't prove anything. But I'm telling you, I wouldn't preach it if I wasn't. I am the door. This is the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus where sheep can enter in to the church of Christ, into the body of Christ by act of obedience and be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. This is a ministerial salvation of these sheep who get under the true care of a proper shepherd because they went through the door of the Lord Jesus Christ. And are under, it's assumed under a good shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul told Timothy, take heed to the doctrine. Take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine. Two things. Continue in them. Two things. For in doing this thou shalt both save. Save thyself and them that hear thee. There was no eternal redemption in there. That is the practical salvation from wolves and the doctrine. And the practical salvation of lasciviousness, take heed to thyself. Do you understand that? There's a salvation in the church. There's a salvation by having an under shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ rightfully and dutifully called who is faithful to his calling. All under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ is the salvation in verse 9. He's going to be able to go in and out and find pasture because it's in the church where we are fed. When you sing, you're feeding the other sheep in here because you're teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We come here to have the word of God preached to us. You're being fed. We're being edified. The the flock is being built up enough on verse 9. Verse 10, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy... The Lord the Lord is being tough. He's had two double affirmations of verily, verily, because he's condemning the Pharisees, the strictest, straightest, most conservative part of the Jews' religion. He's condemning. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. The true place of security and feeding, and comfort, and blessing for the sheep of God have been under the Lord Jesus Christ, His ultimate headship, and in under shepherds that He chose who follow His holy example and have the same ambition toward the flock. Right. Even Paul, in his day, had to say the horrible indictment of the ministers he knew that none of them were like Timothy. Right. It, that, is, that is so sobering. Because he said they all care for their own things and not the things of God and the things of the, the church of God. The thief, that's the other kind of shepherd, climbing up over the wall, not going through the door of rightful authority and a rightful call to that office. And notice their intent. Their intent is to steal sheep. I want to take, advan- I want to take advantage of this ministerial office. I want the life of ease. I want a good, stable, secure income. And I don't want to have to do much. A non-profit profession. I'll make a couple rounds at the hospital, swing my incense or my beads, make a little tiny... Have you ever heard one of those prayers? Let the devil pray for me. It's a joke. It's their little job. They're not feeding the flock like they're supposed to be. That isn't even a minister's job. When someone's in the hospital, it's your job to be visiting them. Where is that my job? I'm supposed to be studying the Word of God. I'll be there. But I'm supposed to be studying the Word of God and feeding you. I remember the pastor with the largest church in Greenville County that used to eat in our restaurant a couple times a week many years ago said that with his 500 weddings and funerals a year, this is what he said, I'm going to retire so that I can start reading and studying my Bible. Any of my sons remember who that was? My wife, I know that. Can you believe that story? He had to retire to get to his Bible. Where is there a wedding in the Bible performed by an apostle, pastor, teacher, anybody? 500 in a year? Yeah. When you have 5,000 members and most of them are over 60, guess what's happening? They're dying and they want you to perform their children or grandchildren's weddings. That man had a noble heart, didn't he? To that extent. And I commend him for it. Jesus came that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. These false pastors come to take away the life of the flock. To steal, to kill, and to destroy, Jesus came that they might have life. And not just barely life, not just barely survive under the onerous burdens of Pharisees that would put burdens on their back and yet not lift a finger themselves to... Remember? They're out front. Jesus is out front giving us life and giving us more abundantly. Supplying everything we need to have an abundant, joy-filled, contented, righteous relationship of fellowship with God so that we are filled and abounding with joy, peace, and hope through the power of the Holy Ghost Amen. in fellowship with the apostles and Jesus Christ and the Father. First John chapter 1 and verse 3. That's the abundant life. Right. It's not just heaven. It's an abundant life now. It's having your cup running over now. Because you've got this shepherd and under shepherds and the word of God and the spirit of God feeding you and leading you out to pasture. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. What kind of a shepherd would give his life for the sheep? I think the name is appropriate in Ezekiel 34 where Jesus is called David. I hope if you read that chapter last night, you saw that. Not the son of David, David. You better study your Bible carefully. Acts 7 and Hebrews 4 speak of Jesus giving them rest when Joshua, the successor of Moses, is intended. And Ezekiel 34, it's none but the Lord Jesus Christ and him only. David had already been dead for several hundred years. But David risked his life against a lion and a bear for his father's sheep. And so it's a good picture, but not good enough. The Lord Jesus Christ is far superior, and he's going to tell us how it's far superior Now, if David knew he was going to die at the hands of the lion and the bear, I can tell you what David would have done. He'd have gone home and asked his father if he could have a paper route instead. I promise you, if he'd have known, he was going to die. But the Lord Jesus Christ knew he was going to die and set his face, as Brother Stephen said on Wednesday night, to go to Jerusalem. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. I've only got a little bit of time left. Disciples, yes, I want to go back toward Jerusalem. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. This is the first time we have those words in this passage. They're not the last time. He is shifting from being the door. He's shifting from God being the door and the rightful call to the ministry for him. Then he's the door of the sheep and under shepherds taking care of those sheep. Now he's the shepherd, but he's not just a shepherd. I am the good shepherd and I am the good shepherd in this way. I laid down my life for the sheep. Do you know that the Lord of glory the word of God made flesh laid down his life for you. So that death has been forever overwhelmed for you. So that we may say And mock it, as in 1 Corinthians 15. That is a shepherd. How do you measure a minister? By his accessibility? By the eloquence of his orations? I'll tell you. A friend loveth at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. But Jesus Christ laid down his life for his enemies. Called here his sheep but he took on death voluntarily so that you will not have to suffer its consequences. We go to sleep in Jesus and we're instantly with the Lord. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Yes, it was painful hanging on the cross, but as we sing a particular song, too small a price, the the benefit of hearing those kind of words would certainly put some salve on the pain and wounds of the crucifixion, just like it did for the martyrs. They knew that Jesus Christ died for them at the hands of wicked religious leaders just like they were suffering at the hands of wicked religious leaders and because he had gone before them and laid down his life for them they were willing to do it for him because they had been his enemies but they had been made his friends and now they were the children of God that's how they could do it this is our shepherd do you know him do you love him do you fall before him whether it's on your knees or in your heart right now, and tell him, Lord Jesus, help me to be a better sheep. Continue that work in me and perfect it that you have begun. Speak the word and lead me to green pastures. He's not done with the Pharisees. He's called them thieves and robbers twice, and then a thief in verse 10. Now he calls them hirelings, but he that isn't hireling, he shifts a little bit from thieves and robbers that climb up over the wall in order to get in there and kill sheep and throw them back over the wall, climb back over, throw them in a sack and take them home because they don't want to invest in a flock themselves. But now we have a hireling. He goes to the door and the porter lets him in. He creeps in. The porter lets him in. He's a hireling, though. And so he doesn't have a vested interest in the sheep. And I've preached enough on this to you in the past. We can go over it rather quickly. He that is a hireling and not the shepherd... Big difference. Everyone who's owned a business knows there's a huge difference between them and the employees they hire. Mm-hmm. He that is in an hireling and not the shepherd, who's owned the sheep or not. See, the owner's mentality that I tried to teach you a year ago is true because it says it right here. Who's own the sheep or not. Seeth the wolf coming. Now here's a pastor, a pastor that has gone into the job because it looked like a nice profession get to wear nice clothes, you're held in high regard by the community, you get a nice title, pretty cushy, secure, nice retirement by the denomination. He does that. And as soon as he gets out there and he faces a split in his church, he faces a doctrinal controversy. Oh, uh, he does not want to head a fight up in that doctrinal controversy because he will lose His job. He is an hireling. He is only doing it for the money, the security, the position. And so he caves in and agrees with his ministerial buddies. And together they keep their denomination intact. And it floats down farther and farther down the river of heresy. It's happened millions of times. They do not want to be cast out because they don't know what they're going to do out there. They 've never had a job. they've never had a profession except being a shepherd and a false shepherd at that. They're hirelings. they do it for the money. Do you know how Paul warns Timothy and Titus very specifically that men better not be given to filthy lucre, they better not care about money or they can't get into the ministry right. for very good re- this reason right here, but we have one, brethren. How much did the Lord Jesus Christ have when he was here in this world? Did he have a place to lay his head? Did he have a home? Did he have to live off of donations by women that followed him? Yes. Does he have a reward now? Does he have a good retirement now? He is the prince of the kings of the earth. And the Bible tells me in Psalm 16 that he's enjoying pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. Amen. But that is the way to do it. Wait till the every under shepherd, according to 1 Peter 5, 5, should wait until the great shepherd gives them their reward, and not one day earlier. Right. The reward isn't now, the reward is there. But he that is in hireling and not the shepherd who's on the sheep or not see if the wolf coming. A hireling, and this is true of any employee, they will only stay working for you as long as Your hourly wages exceed the pain, the danger, and the trouble of the job. (laughs) As soon as the work gets hard enough to rise up to equal the pay, they're gone. Here it's the wolf. I remember a businessman that I knew, and a couple of you in here know him and know the statement I'm about to make. The expression was, "If you want employees to stay, you have to buy their souls." What does that mean? Pay them enough that the pain can't rise that high. We appreciate it on the part of a master, but a hireling flees. What a! Gr- I love, I love the word of God, and I love this parable. It's describing ministers. They're not shepherds. They don't own the sheep. They don't have a vested interest in the sheep. They're just hirelings. They're only working for wages. They only want a comfortable, secure living, following the denominational guidelines, reading out of a common book of prayer, and preaching the sermons that they are told to preach. You want to see them. You can go buy them. Go buy them in Bob Jones' bookstore. He sees the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. He runs away as fast as he can. I don't want any part of that controversy. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. So there go sheep, sheep being destroyed, sheep being eaten by wolves, sheep falling into heresy. And so where did all these churches come from? Where, where did they all come from? They came from lazy ministers that were hirelings and thieves and robbers. That's where they came from. Men have caved in from time beginning. They're, John chapter 12 is going to tell us that the Pharisees that believed on Jesus would still not confess him because they didn't want to be thrown of the synagogue. Hirelings, they flee. Verse 13, Jesus says, the hireling fleeth. Why does he flee, Lord? Because he's an hireling and careth not for the sheep. There's no real attachment between him and the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. I do care for the sheep. I know every one of them. They know me. The Father knows me. And even so know I the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He said it in verse 11. He says it again in verse 15. As opposed to that hireling whose sheep he doesn't own, and he's not their shepherd, Jesus knows them. They know him. He knows the Father. And it is a joint project between God and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, taking care of those sheep. And he lays down his life for them. That is so far different from a hireling. A hireling runs at the first sight of the wolf. Not till the wolf's fangs are in his leg. As soon as he sees the wolf coming, he's gone. He doesn't even want the risk of his job. Jesus knew what the wolf was. Jesus knew what was going to happen at the cross, and he went anyway, as he tells us right now. Well, not, not quite yet. Verse 16, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. And brethren, you better start rejoicing as we build to a climax of this parable and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, is referring to you, because there was only one fold in those days, and that fold was Jewish. That fold was Israel. That was the church of the Old Testament. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. They're not Jews. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. What is the great mystery of godliness? God was manifest in the flesh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. First Timothy three sixteen. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the gentiles. the great mystery of godliness, preached unto the gentiles. Now I need the next one. Number five. Be believed on in the world. They shall hear my voice. Did the apostles carry the preaching of Jesus Christ to the gentiles? And the Lord opened hearts like Lydia, and they attended unto that preaching, and came into the fold. And the Apostle Paul was the principal leader of this reformation of the church, because he said, God's given me an understanding of a secret kept secret from the foundation of the world, that the Jews and Gentiles would be brought into one body. This is it right here, as part of the parable. Ministerial, practical salvation, fourth phase, gospel conversion. Another sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Brethren, that's you and me right there in that sixteenth verse. And then Jesus says this about being a shepherd of the Father. Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. Now see that's on this side of verse sixteen, because in verse sixteen are Jews and Gentiles, you're in verse sixteen. And the Father loves the Lord Jesus Christ as the great Shepherd of His flock. God's had a flock before the Lord Jesus Christ, but never has He had a pastor like the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the closest ones was David. Go read about the. Go read the whole Bible about David. Go read the last verse of Psalm 78. And Jesus is called David, but He's had no one like the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, does My Father love me, because now. His congregation, His flock, His fold, His sheep are under my care because I lay down my life that I might take it again. I lay down my life. And look at the explanation of verse 18. No man taketh it from me. Do you think Judas took the life of Jesus? Do you think Pilate took the life of Jesus? Do you think Herod took his life? The centurion. Did the devil take the life of Jesus? None. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. He wasn't forced into a situation where he had to lay down his life. That's what happens to soldiers the vast majority of the time. See, Jesus knew what was coming. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Did he say to Peter in the garden, I could call 12 legions of angels, but he didn't. Because he had the power. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. He laid it down for the sheep. He laid it down for you and me. He laid it down for Gentiles and Jews that make up the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. This commandment have I received of my Father. My Father has declared to me that I... Have the power, the authority, and the right to lay my life down and to take it again. And Hebrews chapter 5 tells us that though he prayed with strong crying in the garden of Gethsemane, yet he became a perfect son and a perfect savior and a perfect shepherd by learning obedience to the will of God. Can we learn a little tiny bit of that in obeying him? This is your shepherd. Do you know him? There are so many millions and they add up to billions that are trusting in men today who are thieves and robbers, who prey on the desperately poor of nations like Mexico and the Philippines to build their cathedrals in every one of their little villages and who live comfortable lives while the people suffer. But the Lord Jesus Christ suffered poverty, having been rich before, that we might be made rich by his poverty. And soon we shall all be rich together, the joint heirs of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you feel sorry for the blind man? The man born blind, he was no longer blind after Jesus met him. You don't need to feel sorry for him anymore. After the end of John chapter 9 and the first 18 verses of John chapter 10, Because the man born blind was a perfect illustration of one who had been taken advantage of by shepherds that were really thieves and robbers and hirelings. And along came the Lord Jesus Christ and he worshipped him. And then that Lord Jesus Christ dropped two double affirmations on a condemnation of those religious leaders as he defended his sheep with his rod and his staff and he led that man out. We don't know any more about that man's life, but I promise you if he was following the Lord Jesus Christ, he was led out into green pastures and beside still waters, and his cup ran over with blessings from a shepherd that shortly, very shortly, would lay down his life for the man born blind. Do you know him? Can you Can you cry out, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me? He'll heal your blindness of any sort. He'll anoint your head with oil. He'll draw you into fellowship with God the Father in a way that you haven't had before. Do not be content with anything less. Run to this shepherd. Call out his name. Follow hard after him. Read the scriptures to find out what he was like, where he goes, and what he wants you to do. And let's follow him. May Jesus Christ bless the preaching of his word. Amen.